Well, I want to begin by thanking what I consider to be the flagship praise and worship team of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches, and I know that Fred would not disagree with that. He said that when Bethany community left Bethany, they, they pillaged them of all these great musicians, and to God be the glory. Our praise team is, uh, is growing, and so we're thankful for that as well, and it was wonderful to be led this morning by this gifted team in worship. It's great to be here. I want to begin by thanking uh, you as a congregation for praying for me recently and for my family as in late April I went through a a very uh, major surgery and uh, the Lord has seen fit to bring recovery and we're thankful because round two is just around the corner. I'm scheduled to have another surgery in October and so I'll preach up into that point and then take another respite and would enlist your prayers again if you would be so gracious. I am thankful to be here this morning, and uh, this is such a different venue, it's always harder to see your faces, and I, I like to begin with a little humor, and because I can't see your faces, I always wonder whether or not you're with me in the humor, and so uh, just tell me you're with me in the humor, okay? Are you with me? Okay, all right, I need you to be. Uh, I want to begin by this fictitious, let me repeat, fictitious story, but a story that I think uh, sets the table for the banquet that we have this morning in God's Word uh, with respect to the futility that all of creation and especially our lives has been subjected to. And so this fictitious story begins like this. It's actually entitled, Hopeless Story of Noah. And the Lord said unto Noah, Where is the ark which I have commanded thee to build? Because you see, God spoke in the King James English. And Noah said unto the Lord, Verily, I have had three carpenters off ill. The gopher wood supplier hath let me down. Yea, even the gopher wood hath been on order for high upon twelve months. What can I do, O Lord? And God said unto Noah, I want that ark finished even after seven days and seven nights. And Noah said, it will be so. And it was not so. And the Lord said unto Noah, what seemeth to be the trouble this time? And Noah said unto the Lord, mine subcontractor hath gone bankrupt. The pitch which thou commandest me to put on the outside and on the inside of the ark hath not arrived. The plumber hath gone on strike. Shem, my son, who helpeth me on the ark side of the business, hath formed a pop group with his brothers Ham and Japheth. Lord, I am undone. And the Lord grew angry and said, And what about the animals, the male and the female of every sort that I ordered to come unto thee to keep their seed alive upon the face of the earth? And Noah said, They have been delivered unto the wrong address, but should arrive on Friday. And the Lord said, How about the unicorns and the fowls of the air by seven? And Noah wrung his hands and wept, saying, Lord, unicorns are a discontinued line. Thou canst not get them for love nor money, and fowls of the air are sold only in half dozens. Lord, Lord, Thou knowest how it is. And the Lord in His wisdom said, Noah, 
my son, I knowest. Why else dost thou think I have caused a flood to descend upon the earth? That emerging from the Journal of the Royal Institute of British Architects. Well, in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, a chapter that has as its focus for us the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and the assurance that the Holy Spirit brings to the believer, Paul has introduced to us this topic of suffering, this issue of suffering. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. It's interesting that last year when I was here, we took the passage immediately preceding the passage we'll be in this morning, and I need to tell you that we've gotten a little further in it out at Living Hope. In fact, we're almost finished, almost completed through the book of Romans. But this morning, we want to consider Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Again, Paul has just introduced to us the issue of suffering even despite the fact that we be children of God, this issue of suffering, this issue of futility that has come into the life of each and every human being and all of creation even more broadly. But in verses 16 and 17, he's spoken to us about the fact that if we are to be glorified with our Lord Jesus Christ, then the pathway to glorification is indeed suffering, suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason I choose this passage, the reason I think that this is such a foundational text for the Christian, is because if you and I don't have a biblical view of suffering, then we will be vulnerable to the schemes of Satan. When trials come, we will be vulnerable to the schemes of Satan, right? Right? If we conclude that being adopted into God's beloved family uh, shields us or exempts us from persecution and being maligned for the name of Jesus Christ, we will wonder if God has abandoned us in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering. Perhaps we'll wonder if God is truly in control of the circumstances or if He is simply not kind enough to shield us from the difficulties that come into this fallen life. Perhaps He's busy doing other things. And so, we come to this issue of suffering for the name of Christ in verses 16 and 17, but more broadly, more generally in verses 18 through 25. But we want to see this morning that the suffering that has been introduced into human existence, into your life, into my life, into all of creation has been done so graciously for hope's sake. So would you follow along as I read the passage Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18 and going through verse 25. Paul writes, for, if I, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Again, verses 16 and 17 inform us that being a child of God, being born again of the Spirit, conveys to us an inheritance, one that actually includes suffering like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Suffering for our faith is a specific type of test which reveals the nature of the faith of the one who is going through that test. And some are proven through those trials of their faith to have a faith that is not saving because persecution, affliction over the Word, Matthew 13, 21 says, causes them to be seen to not be of the saving faith variety. Remember the four soils that our Lord taught us about? The, the one soil was so hard that the Word of God would not even impact it, and the, the devil snatched it away immediately. And there was a second soil that was rocky soil, and the, the, the Word of God fell upon it, and immediately it, it began to spring up, but it had our Lord says, no firm root in itself. Isn't that interesting? Because James tells us to humbly receive the Word which implanted, implanted deep into our hearts is able to save our souls. And some who are tested because of the Word of God and because of uh, their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrate in the testing not to have a faith that is genuine. But I trust all this morning who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, have believed upon Him not only for the goods of this life, not only for the joys and, and, and the benefits that the abundant life brings to you here and now, but for eternal life. And yet, even beyond that, there is suffering. There is suffering that goes beyond the suffering which we will face because of the testimony that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. There is suffering in this life that is not related to persecution for faith, suffering in and around us that is related to what it means to live in a fallen world. Amen? That more general suffering is the focus that we turn to this morning and Paul trans as Paul transitions from specific suffering to general suffering. Notice again, he says in verse 20, for, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Could we just pause at this point and go to the Lord and ask Him to prepare our hearts to humbly receive the Word which implanted can save our souls? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come here not simply to honor the Lord's day. We go beyond that, Father. We go beyond that by presenting ourselves to You. And we ask that You would do a good work in our hearts. Father, that You would teach us from Your Word and by Your Spirit so that we might understand the true nature of this world that we live in 
glorious as it is a, a creation of your hand and yet fallen as it is subjected to futility. Father, we all struggle when disasters come about, when this life is subjected to frustration, when our efforts do not yield full, full reaping and harvesting of what we have sown. And, and so we pray this morning that you would teach us and encourage us by your word so that we might find hope, which is an anchor to our soul. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. The futility that the Apostle Paul is referring to in this passage is not, not consistent, not similar to the futility that Solomon spoke about in Ecclesiastes. Remember, vanity of vanities or futility of futilities, Solomon would say, that all of life, apart from seeking God's plan and God's will within our realm, our sphere of living, was vanity. And yet, that vanity that Solomon spoke of was a vanity which meant uh, empty, vain. And that is not what Paul speaks of here in this passage as he speaks of futility. He speaks of a futility in which something has been subjected to so that it does not quite reach its potential, does not quite reach the fullness of what it was intended to do. Not an emptiness, but rather a lack of fullness. Paul tells us in this passage that futility has been subjected upon all of creation. Has anyone here experienced even the difficulty of childbearing? Perhaps more than the pain, perhaps more than the discomfort, perhaps a miscarriage, perhaps a loss of a child during that pregnancy perhaps the pains of infertility. We look back in Genesis chapter 3 and we see that that is part of the curse that was subjected upon the human existence. What's more, we see that God has subjected the fruitfulness of this entire creation to futility. And yet Paul tells us in this passage that God has done so in hope. Have you ever experienced less than a full return in your efforts? Perhaps you worked hard on a project or homework or something uh, that was very important, maybe hours or weeks, only to see that project discontinued or the returns up in smoke. Perhaps you have planted a garden or a field and failed to reap a full harvest because of lack of rain because of, because of insects and rodents. Perhaps you've put laundry in the washer and stayed away too long only to come back to find it was mildewed. Perhaps the supper that you worked hard over still got burnt. Or perhaps you finished cleaning the floor and immediately someone came through of the smaller variety and spilled the Kool-Aid that made it stickier than what it was before. God has subjected all of our existence to futility. And not only ours, but the creation, the very creation that we live in the midst of, so that as God said in Genesis chapter 3, and I believe that we have that recorded here, 
and beyond what He said in verse 18, we're going to learn two truths, two truths in this passage about life in this age, and that is that God has subjected life to futility for good, and my, my response to futility in my life demonstrates my faith. Let's talk about this first truth in this age, that God, God has subjected our existence to futility, our life to futility, but notice the end, for good. Have you ever marveled at the loss of strength and stamina only because you turned another year at your birthday? I know I have. Have you ever marveled at the fact, you of the male variety who are with me here, that perhaps your nose produces more hair than the crown of your head and your ear for that matter? Isn't that frustrating? I have to buy new implements just to keep up with that. Have you ever marveled that at this point in your life, your inseam has outpaced your waist? What a frustrating thing. I remember the 30-32 genes. Mortality, uncertainty of the future, all of this is suffering. All of this is a more general category of suffering that you and I and our existence has been subjected to. Why? God has said that we shall return to the dust that we were ultimately derived for, and what's more, all of creation around us has been subjected to the same futility yet in hope. God has subjected our existence to futility yet in hope. This passage teaches us about this, and it tells us that if you have ever engaged an unbeliever in the topic of God's goodness, Perhaps the goodness of God in the variety of John 3.16, for God so loved, God is so good to us that He so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. Then what you most likely have heard in response to that is some response about if God was good, then why? And there is always a pointing to the natural disasters, the natural issues that plague our fallen creation. If God was good, then why is there so much human suffering? If God is good, then why are there so many natural disasters? Beloved, you and I have witnessed more natural disasters this year than has been normal over the course of many of our own lives. And these hurricanes occur and what happens? Besides loss of property, besides damage to property, we have loss of life. These earthquakes occur, and we have massive loss of life and destruction. These tsunamis occur, and we have massive destruction, fire, conflagration over vast portions of land, and our hearts grow unsettled. Go back to verse 18. Paul says, and we know, no, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, Paul says, placed on a scale in comparison to the sufferings that we are experiencing in this life, it is not worthy. It cannot be compared. In other words, if you had your human sufferings because we live in a fallen world placed upon a scale 
and you place the glories that were to be ours in the age to come to counteract them, our sufferings would go flying into non-existence. Said another way, if we think of the glories that will be ours in the age to come, place them on the scale beforehand, the scale would not budge when we place the sufferings that are ours in this fallen world on the scale at the same time. That is what Paul is telling us. The focus of Paul in this chapter, understand, is all about setting our sights on future glorification. If you look down further, we love verses 28, 29, and 30, and we love them because they tell us that we know that God works all things together for good. But we have to take the path to get to those verses, the verses which end in verse 30 saying, and those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and these whom He justified, He also glorified. But on, on the way to glorification, we have already said that there is suffering. All of creation is sitting underneath this suffering. In fact, Paul says in verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, the way that Paul has said this is it's as if the, the creation itself is on tiptoes, craning its neck, looking forward. And what is it looking forward to, beloved? Look at the verse. Look at verse 19. For the revealing of the sons of God, when man fell willingly by conscious act in violation of God's command. Did you know, beloved, that nature fell with him, but not willingly? Paul says, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, as we look back in our hearts and minds to Genesis chapter 3, remembering what it says there, just as God forbid the entrance, the re-entrance of mankind back into Eden, back into that place of favor, back into that place of blessing, God also knew that mankind would attempt in His fallenness to seek to construct an Eden apart from God's counsel. And so God subjected all of creation to the same futility. But notice that that subjection to futility was tied to the fall of mankind. And all of creation knows in a way that unbelievers don't even know, in a way that you and I need to understand, God has subjected all of creation, all of this life to futility, but for good. I heard on the radio recently uh, the commentator talking about famine conditions in some far-off region and discussing the outcome of that, the, the countless amounts of human suffering that would result because of that, and, and in some way that we don't realize, the very ground that cannot yield its full fruit, the very sky that cannot yield its rain, those and all of creation groan because they are not able to, as I talked about that vanity, that futility, they are not able to achieve their full maximum intended purpose. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go out on a summer night and I hear those locusts and how they start at a low pitch and then they wind up and then they go back down or stop for a matter of minutes and then go again, I always think, is that that groaning? 
is that a measure of that groaning? I know that some of you would, who are more uh, informed would say, no, that's their mating call. I, I know that. But I still think, is that just a, a measure of the groaning that all of creation <coughs> is, is under the weight of this futility that God has subjected? But note, notice that Paul says that God, notice who has subjected creation to futility in verse 20, but because of Him, and it's a capital H. And we know that it can be none other than Him, capital H, God, the Creator, because of what is said at the end in hope. God has subjected creation to futility in hope. In other words, for good. The very nature around us groans, but it is because there is something going on here. Verse 21, what is the hope? What is the craning of the neck? What is the tiptoed status of nature groaning and looking towards? Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know what? I'm not a big green guy. I'm not a big go green kind of, you know, save the planet guy. I mean, I'm open to it. We don't really recycle much, uh, and I'm open to it. It's, it's not something, though, that I am given to. But if I was, if I was, this passage tells me that the biggest focus of my saving the planet ought to be to save the human race, to see, to see that the entire world is evangelized because the anxious longing of all creation is looking forward to the salvation of the sons of God because creation knows, whether you and I know it, that once we are glorified, creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption that it's been subjected to. Why did God do this? In hope. You know what it is in the famines of this life? It is in the earthquakes of this life. It is in the hurricanes of this life that weak, frail humanity recognizes our mortality, recognizes the futility of the world that we live in, and may, may by God's grace, look up to Him. God has subjected this world to the natural disasters, to the lack of fruitfulness that is part of our daily existence, and He has done so for a good and gracious cause, for good, for hope, in hope, this hope leads to the new birth. This is the hope that causes a frail human being who is humble enough to look up to the God who created him or her and recognize that this life is fleeting. Paul says in verse 22 that all of creation is suffering up until this point, this, the pains of childbirth. But you know what? The pains of childbirth are different than the pains of death. The pains of death are often filled with despair, but the pains of childbirth are mixed and married with the joy that is to receive the life that is to come into the world. And so the first truth that we see from this, that we're often asked by unbelievers, and we're often asking ourselves. We grow un 
comfortable when someone asks us why God would let this or that happen, why God would allow our our world to be so filled with difficulties if He is good. And we know the answer, and yet we grow uncomfortable. Christian, do not grow uncomfortable. All of creation has been subjected to this futility, and God has done it purposefully in hope that the sons of God would be liberated. And so, the first truth that I've submitted to you and Paul has given us in this passage is that God has indeed subjected all of this life to futility, to frustration for good. It's the only thing, beloved, that's going to cause us to look up. Before I move to the second point, I just want to remind you, you know, Scripture speaks very abundantly about those who are entrapped by riches, those who are entrapped by wealth, those who are entrapped by ease. Psalm 17, you might jot down and go and look at later. Psalm 17, I believe it's verse 14 or verse 10, says that uh, those who have their focus on this world, this life, they are pleased with the riches that God has filled their belly with, and they take pleasure only in children, and they leave all of their goods to their children. In other words, they are not finding their fullness in God, but rather in all of the gifts that He has given them. I remember when I was, I think I was three, one of my earliest memories was my birthday, and for some reason we found ourselves at my aunt's house, and I was on the floor because before me had been poured all of these good things for my birthday. And, and I remember being down there, and other things were starting to drop down. And I just didn't hardly even look up because I was so captivated by the gifts that I didn't really care about who the giver was. And that is a picture of those who will not look up, who, whose lives are often too filled with ease, too filled with good. And so if your life has been struggling with frustration, futility, hardship, beyond what can be explained by your personal sin, but certainly explained by what it means to live in a sinful world, a fallen world, then take heart because God loves you so much that He has allowed for your hands and your heart to be pruned from the goods and the abundance of this life so that you would look up. And the second truth about life in this age that comes from this passage is that your response, my response to futility in my life demonstrates my faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul's telling us that in this passage that it is our response to the tests that come into our lives because of living, living in a fallen world, it is our response to the frustration and futility in our life that demonstrates our faith, whether it be genuine or whether it be proved ungenuine. And Paul says, first of all, that we have received the Holy Spirit so that we might live on and and he says in verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits of, for those who have been born again because He has given to us as a foretaste of what it will be when we are fully fully controlled, and fully glorified by God. Paul says, 
elsewhere, but very consistently in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read it for you. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, there it is again, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, we know and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, we groan. We so want our heavenly abode, we so want our heavenly tent, we so want to be clothed from above. In the day that Paul wrote this, it was in the culture of the Roman world, if, if a child, if a son was adopted, that adoption took place privately first and that son began to function and receive some of the blessings and benefits of adoption, of sonship. But it wasn't until there was a public presentation in front of the necessary audience that this son would receive full rights of adoption, would receive a, a garment, a clothing that was fitting with his new family. And that is exactly what Paul is picturing for us here in Romans chapter 8 as he tells us that we groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. How many of you struggle with the fact that your bodies are not as strong as they used to be? How many of you struggle with the illnesses that now are yours, with the lack of abilities that were formerly yours and no longer are? Sure we do. But do not let that cause you to be unduly burdened. Let it cause you groan to groan for the heavenly promise, the hope, the, the hope that is laid up for us. The redemption of our bodies, that glorified body that Paul talks about elsewhere, that he talks about in Philippians chapter 3, where we are awaiting a Savior from heaven who will transform our lowly estate into conformity with His glorious body. Paul says in verse 24 that we have this hope. He says, verse 24, in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. What is the basis of our hope? Do you understand that faith and hope are two separate things? They're connected, they're so intertwined, but they're not the same thing. Remember, faith, hope, and love, but the only thing that will persist is love and eternity to come. And so what is the basis of our hope? It's our faith. It is our faith. It is our faith in the things that God has told us, in the things that God has revealed to us, so that when you are struggling with the futility that has been introduced into our lives, in your life, 
When you are struggling and you know that God can cause all things to work together for good and you're wondering why He doesn't just skip to that part of the program and get rid of the futility, the frustration right now, understand that God is using that futility to increase your hope. And in order to increase your hope, you need to go to some measures that I have placed down here that I hope you'll write down and meditate on uh, later. There are some things on which our faith is built on. Next slide. First of all, the Word of God encourages my hope because the Word of God is what sustains and informs my faith. Faith and hope are connected, but they're different. And if our hope is to increase in the midst of futility, my response to futility, in other words, when tragedy comes into my life, God's saying, do you believe? And I have to go back to His Word because the Word of God encourages my hope. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God tells me that heaven and earth may fail, but the Word of God abides forever. And the Word of God contains His promises to you and to I, to me, to those who believe. And so I have to go back to the Word of God if my, if my hope is seeming to get dim in the midst of frustration. If your work efforts are not achieving what you had dreamed, do not despair. If difficulties in rearing children, in having children is coming into your life, do not despair about the goodness of God. Understand that God allows futility and frustration for hope. And if my hope is to be encouraged, then I must go beyond God's Word to His oath my Father's oath. Remember Hebrews chapter 6 says that God interposed with His Word an oath so that by two unchangeable things, God cannot lie. But we can go beyond that. The blood of Jesus encourages my hope. Why? Because He has borne my burdens in His body on a tree. And so when I think, okay, is it because of my sin or is it because simply because I live in a fallen world, then I remember that Jesus has redeemed me from this fallen world and His blood speaks a better word. And so the blood of Jesus encourages my hope when I am filled with the futility in my life that God has subjected my life to, your life to, in hope. But not only that, the prayers of Jesus Christ the prayers of Jesus Christ encourage my hope. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I have prayed. And where Jesus prays, there is always victory. And do you remember what Hebrews tells us? That Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He has entered into the veil and is now interceding. He ever lives to intercede on your behalf, believer. And so let your hope be encouraged by the prayers of your Savior who not only died for you but ever lives now for your victorious life. And finally, the Holy Spirit's seal encourages my hope. When I think that God has abandoned me because of the fact that my life has been subjected to futility, when I think that God is not uh, on the job, when He must be slumbering and sleeping, I go to His Word which says that He neither sleeps nor slumbers, and then the Holy Spirit who dwells in me, who seals me for that day of redemption, testifies to my heart 
that God is my Father, not simply my Creator, not simply my God, but He is my loving Abba, Father. Hebrews chapter 6, next slide, reminds us this hope, this hope that transforms the futility and causes us to look forward in the midst of difficulty, this hope you and I must have as an anchor of the soul, and indeed we do, a hope that is both sure and steadfast and one which enters the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. As we close, I want to offer you a couple of applications by way of this passage. Applications for laying hold of the hope that we have even in the midst of futility, understanding what the world in general doesn't understand, that a good and loving God has subjected our lives to futility and the nature around us, The first application I want to submit to you is don't be selfish. Don't be selfish in groping for hope in the midst of futility, but use the futility around us to testify to the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. You say, what do you mean? When there is famine, when there is disaster, when there is earthquake and and hurricane tragedies, Let us, the church, let us, the church, be that entity who is willing to take that futility, that frustration that is in the world, that is intended to give birth to the sons of God. Let us use that, not selfishly, but let us use that as an opportunity, a platform to proclaim Jesus Christ as the only sure and steadfast hope, the only hope that is an anchor for our soul. Second application. Don't let futility in your own life lead you to despair. Don't let futility in your own life lead you to despair. Maybe you're here today and you've come because your life has been filled with frustration and God has gotten a hold of you. At least He's begun to work in a way that you're not even aware of. But it's caused you to come here. Let me tell you, God... God is leading you. God is working in your life through the futility, through the frustration to cause you to look up to Him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loves you and is a jealous God and is unwilling to share you with any other gods. Don't let futility in your own life lead you to despair, but rather think on these things, the things that are true, the things that are honorable, the things that are right, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's worthy of being thought upon, think of those things, the truth of God, and the peace of God will bathe your heart and mind. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness, for turning what was difficulty and strife, turning it with hope into something that could cause us to abound in our faith. Father, I would pray that if there's anyone here today who's unsettled because of circumstances in their lives, circumstances that they've 
sought their own heart and know that it's not because of their own sin, but rather just because we live in a fallen world, I pray that you would administer encouragement today to know that this is the world that you have left us in, a world that is subjected to futility because this futility gives birth to hope in the sons of God. Father, help us to look up to you. Help us to not place our hope and our faith in any vain thing that this world would offer us. Help us to know that we are not to love the world or the things in the world, but help us to look upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and disregarded its shame, and having sat down at your right hand, he now ever lives to intercede on our behalf. Help us to look to him. Comfort our hearts, encourage our hearts, sustain us as children of hope. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.